You've heard me talk about Morning Kick, used by former karate champion Chuck Norris. It's a daily drink from Roundhouse Provisions that combines ultra-potent greens like spirulina and kale with probiotics, prebiotics, collagen, and even ashwagandha. Just mix with water, stir, and enjoy. Unlike other green drinks out there, this one tastes similar to strawberry lemonade, and I enjoy it. I know I don't eat as many vegetables as I should, but Morning Kick has helped me make up for that, and I feel great. I have more energy and better digestion. It's an easy part of my morning routine. My wife started taking it as well. Go to roundhouseprovisions.com forward slash Harris for up to 44% off your regular priced order. Plus, every purchase is backed by a 90-day money-back guarantee. So if you want to experience smoother digestion, a boost of energy, and just an overall healthier body, then go to roundhouseprovisions.com forward slash Harris today. Good afternoon, everyone. We are live on the Conversations That Matter podcast. I don't know exactly what direction this podcast is going to go in. I have a number of things I want to talk about, uh, things I've seen mostly over the last few days. Some things I was talking about uh, over breakfast, actually, with my brother and a friend this morning for a few hours. And uh, it just uh, it just made me think of, of, of a lot of things that I, I feel like I need to share. And um, uh, important things, things uh, that things that are changing at rapid pace at a rapid pace in our society, especially regarding pride month and June and how Christians are reacting to this. And, uh, there's pitfalls, uh, all over the place. There's, um, there's challenges that, that, uh, we have to navigate. So I'm getting a word, by the way, if you're trying to stream this on rumble, uh, I'm not sure what's going on there. I'll probably have to upload to rumble later. I do try to live stream on rumble. I'm not sure why it's not working right this second. Uh, but anyways, we are streaming on YouTube right now and Facebook. Uh, and uh, hope uh, everyone's um, having a good day. Ho hope uh, it's beautiful where you are. It certainly is where I am. It's a wonderful day. It's just, it's been amazing lately in, in my area, just uh, sunny and the weather temperature has been perfect. Not too hot, not too cold. I got my window open. Uh, so I'm happy. Um, all right. So the question I have is, where do I want to start this whole thing? Because we're going to talk about Rick Warren a little bit. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to bring in some SBC stuff a little bit, but we're going to talk about homosexuality and how that's even being navigated at Saddleback Church uh, 10 years ago versus now. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a tweet that Daryl Harrison from Grace to You put out there that's getting a lot of attention. This is one of the things that at breakfast this morning uh, we were talking about a little bit, and I want to. Um, read that to you and then just uh, offer some thoughts. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz has doubled down on his reasoning that the Uganda's anti, uh, well, they're being framed as anti-homosexual, but really I, I want to change that framing if we can. That's one of the challenges actually that we need to figure out how to change the framing. Uh, is, is it anti-homosexual? Is that really what's going on? Or is this pro, uh, pro people, pro women? That, uh, because if you look into the details of this, it's not exactly what it's being made out to be. So I want to look at, at, at just a few details and I'm going to look at what the BBC says about it. I mean, they're not exactly a, 
I would say a favorable outlet. They're they're on the left, but they they talk about what's actually in the bill. And so anyway, Ted Cruz is doubling down on that. This is a disgusting bill and it's against uh, Christianity, apparently, as well. So Jesus wouldn't have supported that law. Um, I, I don't know about that. Let's let's uh, let, let's talk about this. So. Uh, lots of stuff uh, ahead on the podcast today. If uh, any patrons are streaming right now, I've sent the link out on Patreon. If you want to be part of the show, that is the way to be part of it. Uh, you can come on the show and I will let you say what you want to say. If you have a point to make, if you have a question, uh, you can go to patreon.com. Uh, I think it's forward slash worldview combos. And if you're not a Patreon, uh, Patreon, you can... Uh, Support the podcast that way, and then if you want to come on the show, you can. This is this is how the podcast and and the books I'm writing and all the other projects, the conferences that this is the main way that all gets funded is through uh, Patreon and generous donations. So I, I just want to say I appreciate everyone who does donate uh, to this particular outlet. Uh, one thing I do want to let everyone know about is uh, I will be traveling this weekend, and I hope to see many of you at a conference in DeForest, Wisconsin. Um, see if I can pull it up so everyone can see what I'm talking about here. Uh, it's the Be Not Conformed Conference, and uh, it's going to be on June 10th through June 11th. So if you can make it June 10th, it's 1 to 8 p.m., and the speakers are Stephen Wolf, Dr. Russell Fuller, and myself. I guess I could say Dr. Stephen Wolf as well, but uh, I'm the only non-PhD person, I guess, speaking there. But uh, uh, it, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be great. You're going to have a lot of good information and uh, exciting topics that we're going to be addressing. Things that you haven't heard me talk about on this podcast, I'm going to talk about there. Uh, things that uh, I'm sure Stephen hasn't shared fully. And I know Dr. Fuller is, is doing a presentation on what is a nation, right? Matt Walsh just had this what is a woman documentary promoted heavily on Twitter. And there's a lot of what is questions that we need to get back to defining. Because if we don't have the same idea in our head when we're our category when we're trying to communicate, then we can't communicate. And so what is a nation? What is that? Uh, a lot of the, even the defenders of quote unquote Christian nationalism don't define what a nation is exactly. And so I think it's important. I said, Dr. Fuller, would you mind speaking on that topic? Let us know what, what that is according to scripture. What does the Bible say about nationhood? What does it assume a nation is? Uh, I think that's that's fairly important. I mean, it, it gives us an insight into ancient literature and how this was viewed for thousands of years. But uh, as Christians who believe that this uh, carries with it a divine authority, it gives us an insight into what God thinks. What what are His purposes? What's His ordering of His created world? So, that very important question uh, will be answered by Dr. Russell Fuller, and then I'll be preaching on Sunday um, on spiritual warfare. And uh, so, anyway, DeForest, Wisconsin, uh, check it out. There's no price. You can come. It's free. I mean, you can donate <laughs> if you want. I mean, there's a lot of traveling expenses associated with this, but um, but but we would just love to see you. So uh, so that's going on. All right. Let's start the podcast. Hmm, where do I want to start? Let's start here. I want to play for you all, if I can, a, uh, a video. And, and this is just a, a a look back on Rick Warren. Now, Rick Warren for those who don't know, he still claims to be a conservative evangelical. Okay. Uh, he would be confessional. He would be now. I know some of you are bristling at this and you're saying, how can that be? I'm just saying what he claims. I'm just saying he can put his name on papers. Let's say that he agrees with the Baptist faith and message and, and that kind of thing. So Rick Warren still would be in the, what would have been called conservative evangelicalism. Uh, he believes in orthodoxy, he believes the Bible is the word of God. He believes Jesus is 
is uh, God. Uh, he believes that salvation is by grace through faith, right? He believes these, these, these fundamental things. Uh, the Bible's inspired word of God, all of that. Now, there's there's all kinds of fractures that have developed in the last few years regarding uh, mostly social questions, but questions that get into the heart of very fundamental things, like basic things that I, I think in times past didn't really need to be defined all that much in Christian confessions and, and creeds because everyone knew what a man was, right? Everyone knew what a woman was. Uh, they knew there were different roles and, and they wouldn't have conceived of that being something that would later be controversial. And, and lo and behold, it is. So there there's things like that. Um, I, I mean, most people throughout human history uh, assumed that uh, there are different kinds of peoples, different races, different cultures that existed and that uh, God had ordered things in that particular way. See, like even Paul in Acts 17, that he set the times and boundaries for the peoples and where they'll they'll uh, they'll live. And so, you know, th this was kind of an assumed thing that there was an ordering to creation uh, in that way. And, and of course, questioning that, questioning whether race even exists. Is it a social construct? This stuff was, was, was like foreign. It's very recently it has this stuff even become um, a controversial issue where that's being discussed. So were Christians navigating these issues? They didn't have to navigate them. And that's part of the problem with a number of issues today is um, they weren't navigating them. Well, lo and behold, now we are in situations where we have to navigate these things. And um, the the field has changed. Uh, if you remember, you know, 10 years ago, this is pre-Obergefell. Uh, you have pastors who still had the majority of the populations with them on the issue of homosexual marriage. It shouldn't be marriage. You shouldn't sanctify it in that way. That's It's not marriage. Well, that changed. And, and it changed pretty hard, pretty fast. And so what we're finding now is pastors are changing. Pastors who once were stronger on this issue have become weaker on this issue. And I, and I think we could go back and pick apart what Rick Warren, what I'm about to play for you from Rick Warren from 10 years ago, perhaps, uh, and, and, and see weaknesses and flaws and try to say, well, this is where he went wrong. He didn't uh, reinforce natural law enough here or something. We, we could do that. But the issue is, is that I want to highlight more than any of that is not the arguments he's using, but the the, the, the strength and the power and, the, and the, the confidence he has in the word of God and, and how that seems to be shifting. Now, I don't have like, uh, I don't know, there might be something out there someone can put in the uh, comment section if, if you know of this. There may be a clip out there of Rick Warren talking about this recently. I don't know of any, but I do know of what's going on at Saddleback Church. And, and that's what I want to show you. So let's start here with Rick Warren. Uh, this is from a, a decade or more ago, talking about LGBT, or, or at that point, I guess it was it was a homosexual marriage. On uh, Piers Morgan last night. I was. In fact, I was. And, and you had a very interesting conversation yeah. about uh, whether or not being gay was both natural. Right, right. Or, so in fact, I think we have it. Can we, um, can we bring that up? I think the jury's still out on that. It wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me if there was, quote, a gay gene found. Because uh, uh, here, here's what we know about life. I have all, all kinds of natural feelings in my life, and it doesn't necessarily mean that I should act on every feeling. I do not believe attraction is a sin, but I do believe that some actions are sin. Let me ask you this on, on several levels. Sure. You, you think, as a pastor, mm -hmm. that it is possible that people are born with a natural desire. It's possible. But still, it would be a sin, that, that, that God would create a, a sort of situation whereby someone could have feelings and desires that are natural to them. Yeah. 
but it's still a sin. You know what? I don't have it all figured out. Uh, I, I do know this. I do know I'm called to love everybody. I am not allowed to hate anybody as a Christian. In fact, the Bible says I'm, I, I'm to treat everyone with dignity, uh, everyone with respect, everyone with love. It doesn't mean I, I agree with every, you don't agree with everything I do, but you could treat me with respect. Absolutely. Okay. And, and what I am worried about is that if you disagree with somebody today, you're often called a hater. I don't really hate anybody. Uh, or you're called phobic. I'm not afraid of anybody. I have many, many gay friends, have worked around the world with them in gay organizations to try to stop AIDS. We're doing World AIDS Day this weekend at Saddleback Church. My wife and I have given millions of dollars to help uh, people who, with HIV AIDS and worked with gay organizations on that. And what so, about the love part, though? Because the, the, I, I hear the AIDS it's part. It's not illegal to, to love somebody. But you think it's a sin? I, no, it's not a sin to love somebody. It might be a sin to have sex with them. Wow. It might be. Yeah. Okay, in other words, uh, see, I'm very conservative. In fact, I don't just believe, I, I believe that sex outside of marriage is always wrong. Now, that's because my view is based on the Bible. Now, that's my worldview. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a source of authority. Some people's source of authority is themselves. And so I'm, I decide what's right and wrong. Yeah. Some people, their source of authority is culture. Whatever's popular is, is, is right and wrong. Some people's source of authority is tradition. What's traditional? I, I make no bones about it. I'm an evangelical pastor. So my source of authority is what does the Bible say about it? Now, other people have other sources of authority. Here's what or, we have to do. Or different readings of the Bible. Or different readings. That's very true. And what we need is the kind of conversation you and I are having right now, which is non-inflammatory, non-flamethrowing, uh, not saying, well, you must be a bad person because you disagree with me. In fact, you can't convince me to agree with you if you're saying I'm a bad person. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In other words, there's a, you create a bias. And what a lot of people do is they sit behind the, the computer and they throw bombs at people back and forth. And that happens all over. Oh. We, we, we're losing our civility in civilization. And one of the, the upside of the Internet is it allows us anybody on this planet can communicate to me directly because I'm on Twitter. Okay. And by the way, if you're not following me on Twitter, you're going to hell. <laughs> All right. So the little joke there at the end. Uh, so, so this is like archaic at this point. This is something from the past. Like, I, do we even remember a time uh, when, when it was like this? Um, it, it, we do, but it was, it, it was a while ago. So, what are the conversations like now? Well, first of all, you don't have pastors on, what was that, Huffington Post or CNN? I mean, uh, you don't have pastors on these outlets anymore talking about this. They're not going to platform someone who believes that it's a sin to commit acts of homosexuality, which Rick Warren did say he did there. Of course, his whole emphasis was trying to defend himself against the charge that he's a hater. And, and maybe you could critique that and say, well, he wasn't being aggressive enough. He was capitulating here. He was uh, saying it's OK to love someone and, and no one knows what love means and he should have defined it. Or I mean, you could come up with all this stuff. My point, though, is here. He actually went on national television and said, yeah, homosexuality is a sin. Like committing that action is a sin. It's wrong. Uh, it shouldn't be done. That, you don't you won't have a conversation like that now. It just it would not happen. Why wouldn't it happen? Because it's not what you say in polite society. It's against the, the zeitgeist and the God of this age. You cannot say it publicly and expect to receive uh, widespread support. We have to just get used to that. Now, here's 
that, that, that strategy, obviously, it it didn't work, or at least it, it wasn't uh, the, the attempt to try to paint Christians as being tolerant. They weren't bigots. They were uh, just trying to be true to the scripture, and that's commendable. That that didn't work, obviously. Uh, it, 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 uh, it ended up that Christians were painted that way anyway, uh, just because of that one thing he said. Hey, it's a sin. That's all it takes. Now, what's going on now? uh with rick warren's church or, or saddleback let me uh this is from i think a year or two ago this is the current pastor because rick warren has retired so the pastor who's taken over saddleback uh said this in a recent sermon and if you look at our church look around you all of our campuses what you will notice is that there are a lot of people different than you if you don't like that too bad get used to it that's the way it's going to be in heaven there are going to be a lot of people, different color skin than you. They're, not, they're, they're going to come from different backgrounds. We have people who are rich and wealthy. We have people who struggle paycheck to paycheck. We have a lot of disparity in who comes to our church. We have some people who've been following Jesus for decades. We have some people, this is their first time in church. In fact, some of you, this is probably your first week ever to come to a church. We embrace that diversity. And within that, we have people who have different sexual orientation. We have some people who are heterosexual, some people who are gay, and we have a lot of disparity and a lot of differences in our church. What happens oftentimes in the church is there are walls, and even in society, there are walls that get built between us. So the first part is that there are walls which exist, and a lot of times those walls come out of our hatred, they come out of our frustration, they come out of our bad negative experiences from the past, and Jesus came to tear down our walls. So okay. We, what we so, do is we, we... Oh, let me get rid of that. <laughs> okay, so that's the current pastor of uh, Saddleback Church and, and what he has to say about this. Now, um, Megan Basham also did some reporting on this that I want to show you. And I, I've already showed this on the podcast, but let me just read for you a section on this. This is a recent article, uh, maybe two months ago or so. Uh, well, maybe it wasn't even that long. I think it was a month ago. But anyway, she... Uh, talks about this issue with Rick Warren, which we'll talk about a little more just in a minute. I'll touch on it with women pastors and how he was uh, the executive committee voted to uh, essentially boot Saddleback Church from the SBC convention because they violated the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, standards on uh, women pastors and their complementarian views. Um, a lot of conservatives are cynical about this because they think that this is a way to show strength, show that you're conservative. And, and a lot of the people pushing this are people who previously capitulated on BLM and uh, have capitulated even in, in some ways on soft egalitarianism or soft, I should say, complementarianism and allowing um, people to teach at their institutions like Rachel Gilson, uh, who seemed to she seems to indicate that homosexual desires aren't necessarily sinful. It's the actions. And so, the, so, so, so there's these weaknesses, but if they can they can say, well, you know, Rick Warren's wrong in this very public display, then they, they regain some conservative credentials. And they've certainly lost that. They have a deficit to make up with their own base. I, I think there was a miscalculation among the managerial elites in a lot of places, including uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, where they thought, hey, if we if we go along with the BLM and the abuse stuff and, and, and all the rest of it, um, like people are going to follow our leadership. And that just didn't happen to the extent maybe they thought. And so so this is one of this is the, the cynical take that many more conservative members of the Southern Baptist Convention have. But regardless, and, and the Mike Law thing, by the way, this is the art what the article is about, the Mike Law proposal uh, to clarify the Baptist faith and message on this issue and, and 
um, the them not adopting it on the executive committee factors into this. You know, why are you why are you disfellowshipping Saddleback Church, but yet you're not you're not solidifying a rule across the board that would apply to all churches on this. So there anyway, I don't want to get into all of that, but that's that's some of the, the what's going on. And and in the reporting that Megan Basham put out there from the Daily Wire on this particular topic, she says in early 2020, Saddleback pastor Chris Clark and his wife, Elisa. Now, remember, it's a big church. There's a lot of pastors. Uh, I believe the, the pastor, I'm trying to remember the name of the pastor that I just showed you. I think he's the senior pastor, uh, Andy. It's Andy Wood, I think, is the senior pastor that I just showed you the clip from. Well, this is another pastor, Chris Clark. They co-founded a Saddleback chapter of Embracing the Journey, a ministry for parents of LGBTQ children with longtime Saddleback members, Doug and Shauna Heibel, or Habel. By the end of 2021, an Embracing the Journey newsletter revealed that Saddleback was hosting four ongoing ETJ support groups and one small group. Now, this it, it goes into more and more details as you read this article. But it, the revealing thing here is that, wait a minute, Saddleback Church has already been complicit uh, and not just like with some uh, out of off the beaten path ministry they had. No, this is a pastor in the church has been directly involved with and using Saddleback's resources to. Um, to, to assist a group that advocates uh, for LGBTQ uh, people who think they're LGBTQ. And it's a, it's an affirmation uh, organization. It's not, uh, th this isn't like a, an organization that is, um, well, it even says here, uh, let's see, uh, Heibel has been clear on Twitter that part of their mission is persuading churches to abandon biblical orthodoxy with respect to sexuality and gender in response to trans identifying actress Ellen Page's criticism of non-affirming churches. She posted churches like Hillsong that mandate queer celibacy should try a year of solitary themselves. God's end game is love. When a journalist posted a story about the gay marriage of Department of Transportation head Pete Buttigieg, Habel replied that she works with conservative parents to help them become affirming. So it's, it, this just goes on and on. It's about normalizing this kind of behavior. So the, the same Rick Warren, you know, his church at least, the institution that gentleman founded of whose video I played at the beginning, who said clearly, hey, it's a sin to do this kind of thing. They have been working behind the scenes at his church to try to normalize this kind of behavior. That's apparently been going on. Now, that's that's kind of a big deal, in my opinion, uh, that that's that's subversive. That's um, and, and if you feel like the frog in the pot, um, that's why it's because of stuff like this. And it's happened all over the place. Um. So anyway, hey, Kalman. Uh, Kalman wants to join. Uh, he's having problems with his browser. Kalman, um, uh, if man, I don't know what you could do. Uh, maybe try it with a different browser. See see how that works, and you can be part of the the podcast. Um, anyway, th this is what's happened at Saddleback Church. And so here's the question: Before we get move on to Ted Cruz and the Uganda Bill and all the other stuff. Just, just think with me, take some inventory of the last, I don't know, 15 years and the shift that's happened in our particular society. What, if you could go back 15 years ago, would you have done differently if you had the authority, let's say a pastor Rick Warren had a national stage, international stage, uh, the ability to go on these national news shows and to uh, try to direct evangelicals into thinking rightly about this and, and and what they ought to do. The the posture initially was very it was defensive. It was trying to salvage the reputation of people who believe homosexuality is a sin. Obviously, that didn't work. 
that that was that was the stumbling block. You aren't allowed to say that. You can't say I'm the nicest person. We should have a conversation. We should get a cup of coffee. That was the approach before. We should just get a cup of coffee. Enough with this anger. If we just get a cup of coffee and sit down, we'll figure it out. Obviously, that didn't figure it out. Uh, there is, and this is where you, what you have to see on the other side. There is a, a there is a line, and if you cross it, you are the enemy. Uh, they have their own blasphemy laws. This is coming out in all kinds of places. It doesn't even have to be on the books as far as a legal thing that governments enforce. You have corporate policies that are essentially function the same way. You lose your job. You lose your ability to feed your family in some industries and organizations if you just simply have a biblical view on marriage. That's it. That's all it takes. It doesn't take anything more. Uh, you can be as nice and, and have as coffee with as many people as you possibly can. It does not matter. And I think if we realize that we are not in a situation um, where it, it's a political battle, it, it used to be this phrase that politics is uh, the art of compromise, right? And But that assumes something. It assumes that the people you're talking with are interested in the same goals, that they value truth in the same way. So we're, we're after the truth. We're both working together. We have different starting assumptions or some, or we... We have uh, different ways of going about this or different things that we've been exposed to, but we'll work together on trying to bring about the best outcome. Uh, in politics, it was a love for America. We, all, we both love America. We just have different ways of, of approaching what, what the best policies are, and we're willing to talk about it, and we can compromise, and I'll give you some of what you want. You give me some of what you want, and that's politics. That's, that's not how war works, though. War is a different paradigm. And wartime leaders are different than peacetime leaders, right? Wartime leaders don't don't look in, at the enemy and say, "Let's have a cup of coffee." They say, they they don't say anything. They shoot. They they're, they're they know that it's a life and death struggle, and one side has to win, and the side that wins is going to control. And so they're not allergic to power. They're able to um, they're they're able to say true and hard things against their enemies, and. They don't have to vilify them in an unfair way. They just have to say what they, they, they just have to proclaim what they believe and contrast it to what the enemy believes. And that's, that's vilification enough. That's, that's not an artificial kind of vilifying. That's, that's an actual, like just calling it what it is. You're, you're evil. You're promoting evil. Uh, that's the situation we're in now. And a lot of evangelicals are used to this neutral world, world paradigm, as uh, Aaron Wren says. I mean, this, they're in this neutral world still operating that way, thinking that they can have a cup of coffee with someone into believing in, in, into uh, liking them or something into converting into um, seeing them differently. And it's, it's not, maybe you can pick out a few cases where the Lord used that, but that's generally speaking, at least when you're talking about political battles and social battles uh, it's, it's gotta be firm. You gotta have hard lines. You have to clearly say, this is what I believe. And then the people who deviate from that, you have to say what they're actually doing. I'm going to give you an example of this in a moment, because I think Ted Cruz, uh, his approach on this has been instructive. Ted Cruz, for those who don't know, I'll show you here um, on Twitter so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Ted Cruz uh, initially made a tweet. The tweet said that it was from New York Times. New York Times put out, the president of Uganda signed a punitive anti-gay bill on Monday. I talked about this on the podcast. That includes the death penalty enshrining into law and intensifying crackdown against LGBTQ people in the East African nation. It is one of the world's most restrictive anti-gay measures. And Ted Cruz says this Uganda law is horrifying. Keep that word in mind and wrong. Keep that word in mind. The law, any law, any law criminalizing homosexuality. 
Okay. So it doesn't have to be death penalty, but any law criminalizing it or imposing the death penalty. So there's another category here for aggravated homosexuality. So, so it, this is what the Uganda law says. If it, it criminalizes homosexuality itself, but there's a death penalty for certain forms of homosexuality, aggravated homosexuality, which we'll talk about in a minute is grotesque and an abomination. Keep those words in mind, especially the word abomination, especially that word. He uses a word used in scripture, or at least a word that we translate, uh, toeva, you know, this term for abomination from a Leviticus, where it says that to lie with a man as you would with, with, with a female is an abomination is toeva is, is this evil, evil thing. It's different. It's a different wickedness than mixing fabrics. Okay. That's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's something that is carried through, um, most societies. It's, uh, I mean, you have historians now trying to go back and find tribal societies somewhere that included, you know, pr uh, positive examples of homosexuality and it didn't destroy their their society. Uh, but they're they're lo they're looking in these specific hyper specific areas in general. The, the pattern throughout history has been that this is a threat, that this is uh, against nature, that this is what happens when kingdoms fall, when the Romans start engaging in this stuff more and the decadence increases. That's when the barbarians come in. That's been the pattern. And and so I'm, I'm not saying that that's the authority. The word of God is authority enough. But um, the he uses a word. It's flipped. He's literally saying the exact opposite thing, calling good evil, evil good. He's saying that what the Bible says and the Bible recommends a penalty of what? Death. It's it's even more the, the biblical penalty for this and for other sexual sins. It's not just this is greater than the Ugandan law. OK, and it, it and because on the it, it's totally premised on the idea that these actions are abominations. And Ted Cruz is saying, no, the abomination is to actually criminalize it. That's the abomination. So, so see this for what it is, okay? All civilized nations should join together in condemning this human rights abuse. Hashtag LGBTQ. Now, uh, all nations, I mean, the whole entire globe, this is, I want you to see this too about this. This is totalizing, right? If you don't want globalism, you know, this, he's saying this, every country apparently has, this is a universal law. There aren't countries like Uganda that have unique situations, which I'm about to talk about wherein they have a problem that does not exist perhaps as much in other countries on this issue. So it, you would expect with the problems Uganda has that they would have a stricter uh, law about this because of, of what's going on. But, but there's no allowance for any nuance on that. There's no allowance for, well, your situation is, is a life and death struggle here. Uh, your, your people are directly threatened from, because of this. Uh, therefore, you need to clamp down and restrict it. No. It's every country in the world, no matter what's happening right now, currently, uh, you have to make sure that th this is a human rights abuse and categorize it that way. That's Ted Cruz. Now, uh, Tom Askell, Pastor Tom Askell replied to this and he said, tell it to God, Ted. And, and this is interesting to me because I think, let's see, Ted Cruz is, he got over 23,000 likes on his tweet, um, oh, between five and 6,000 quote tweets. Uh, over almost two, uh, 2,500 retweets. Tom Askell gets a little over a thousand likes, you know, 317 quotes. I mean, I mean, it, it got some steam, but it's not, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought Ted Cruz would feel compelled to respond to this, but I'm wondering if there's something else going on because Tom Askell gave the invocation for Governor Ron DeSantis's uh, term when he was sworn in. 
is the ceremony. Tom Askell was there giving the invocation for that. So, so maybe there, and a lot of like pro homosexual groups have capitalized on this and said, uh, that's, that's what's going on here. That's a problem. So Tom Askell comes out, he says, tell it to God, Ted. He quotes Leviticus chapter 20. If a man lies with a male, as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Same word Ted Cruz used. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Was this law of God that God gave to his old covenant people horrific and wrong? That's the question. It's a good question. I mean, what do you think about? Okay, because so, Ted Cruz made a totalizing statement. All countries, all countries must see this as horrifying, wrong, and abomination. And he's saying, well, what about ancient Israel? That's a country. Uh, was it wrong for their situation? God implemented it. Ted Cruz says this. Oh, actually, hold on. <laughs> Um, go back one here. Okay. So Ted Cruz actually responded. This is the surprising thing to me. He actually responded to this and he said, pastor, I don't know you, but I honor your ministry. Okay. He's respectful. I mean, you could get, so, so here, here we are in, in, you know, 15 years ago, Rick Warren thought I can get a cup of coffee with someone at CNN. We could talk about this issue. Now we're like straining at, I guess we can get a cup of coffee with Ted Cruz <laughs> and talk about this issue. Right. It's not, I'm not, I'm not saying that the same homosexual marriage is, is the same issue, but I'm saying like, the whole normalization of homosexuality, which Ted Cruz clearly just participated in uh, that issue. Like we're, we're, we're shifting to the point of like, we're, we're questioning whether or not we can have respectful dialogue, even within the quote unquote political conservative movement on this. But, but Ted Cruz to his credit is still saying, I can be respectful. I, I don't know you. I honor your ministry. Your biblical analysis is in error. Ooh, this is, this is a, tell this to a pastor. Okay. Now, Ted Cruz's dad is a pastor. He's a Pentecostal, I believe. He's evangelical, though. He he would probably sign his name to the same faith statements, uh, the basic ones that we, he could probably sign the truth script. Well, I don't know if he could actually. If well, mo basic faith statements that don't have aggressive language about or or, or direct language about um, sexual deviancy, he could sign. Probably, um, I don't know. But anyway, he he would be considered a conservative evangelical. He says, your biblical analysis is an error. Jesus told us to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So you see a different approach here from Ted Cruz. All right, so we just saw Rick Warren's approach, which is to basically soften it over the course of years. Like basically go with the cult. As the culture goes, kind of follow at a distance. Be that shadow that falls behind, follows behind it on the way to perdition. Ted Cruz here, I, I would say he's doing something similar in that he's, this is not the Ted Cruz of 2016, but Ted Cruz wants to root this in something principled. He wants to root this in Jesus's teachings and act like this is somehow across the board. This, this is the, 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 there's a universal um, principle that he's a, he's appealing to that that proves this. So th there, there's something, I guess, less soft, less. It's more direct is what I'm saying. And he says, we are talking the laws of man, not the Old Testament laws of God. Well, that's interesting. The laws of God were supposed to be applied to man. Israel's law was supposed to be like to the Gentiles. I mean, there's moral principles God gives us. Uh, I mean, are the laws of God that were given in the Old Testament that apply to, let's say, Christians in the church? I'm not talking about government. Do those still apply? I mean, he would wipe out all of that if that's what if he's trying to say it, it doesn't matter because these are laws of man, not laws of God. Do you really believe that the U.S. government should execute every person who is gay? So there it is. There's the flip. There's the trying to take the moral high ground. So it's it, it's a way to run to the left. It, it's to look to your right and to paint those to your right as they're the ones that are unacceptable. Let's 
because uh, he was asked a question. He didn't really answer it completely. He, he tried to his answer was basically taking this law, this this quote from Jesus that doesn't even really apply to this. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And, and, and from that, he's concluding that therefore God doesn't expect holiness or God doesn't expect at least the government to uh, enact and support uh, righteous laws. I mean, you'd have to take it to that conclusion. I mean, it, it, it makes no sense because it's out of context. Um, and then he says that then he tries to take the moral high ground. Do you believe the Bible? Uh, believe that the U.S. government should execute every person who is gay. Uh, Ted Cruz says Leviticus also says, and here we go. Right. The standard stuff for anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Should the government execute every child who disrespects to his parents? We've talked about this before on the podcast, I believe. And I pointed out uh, that it's not a, 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 as simple as at least the examples we have in Scripture aren't as simple as a child just back talking his mom or something. And then he the, the child's dead. Um, it, it's something that the Hebrew terminology here is uh, is something it's it's a lot stronger. It is um, it is cursing your parents uh, in, in, in much deeper ways. But but he but anyway, he, he, he quotes that and he says, um, should the government execute every child that ignores grace and the New Testament as our Savior taught us? Let he who is without sin among you. Let him cast the first stone at her. And I, I got to say, this is where I, I, and I've talked about I, I'm not fully on board with um, or at least I, I don't think the, the way theonomy is um, often the way that theonomy is, is often constructed, I don't, I don't think goes far enough. I think it leaves some things out. I've talked about this a little bit. However, this is where theonomists tend to shine. I'll, I'll be honest with you when they encounter things like this, because they're willing to just go back to, this is what God said. He is the universal principle. He is the universal standard. His character is, that's where we derive the laws from. We can figure out what was for uh, for, for that time period and what's for today, but we're not doing it along a metric of um, God's law is totally invalidated. We're we're doing it um, now. Hopefully, the, you know, I, I haven't read this from a theonomist, but hopefully, they wouldn't be as rigid as saying, "Look, um, God said in uh, well, Jesus said actually that uh, it, Jesus is God." So that wasn't don't <laughs> don't trap me for that. I, I I was just thinking though these are these are red letter words. He says that. Um, it was if it were not for the hardness of heart, there, there. Well, he suggests that there might have been different laws on divorce, right? Because that's why there were laws on it in the first place. It, it wasn't ideal. It was because of the hardness of people's hearts. That shows you that there are specific situations where the application may be different, right? But it, but but Ted Cruz, the, the difference here is that Ted Cruz isn't. He's not saying that. Well, it it, it applies sometimes, or it it can apply, or uh, we, we need prudence to figure out when and how it applies. No, he's saying universally across the board, this is not right. It's not God's law. So he's invoking another law, another standard. He's saying, no, God's universal standard is not this. The abomination is what God used to say. So yeah, there's a contradiction now in God. I mean, it's a big, big problem. So, so I think um, for most reasonable Christians, <laughs> if they're thinking biblically and logically about this, they can have a reasoned discussion about, hey, look, there are places that you haven't needed strict laws on this in world history. Uh, so so why have them uh, where you have, you know, more more moral societies? There are places perhaps where uh, the problems are much worse and, and you do need these laws uh, there uh, or similar laws, I would say, um, you know, you you have 
different situations and but but what doesn't change is the moral standard of god in this case there is a universal standard here there might be particular ways it works out particular ways in which it's punished particular but the point is it's an abomination it's something that is is uh worthy of death according to god and so are other things that aren't that aren't punished by death today um working out the the kinks or, or the the application of all that that's a, a discussion reasonable christians i think can have and I, i'm willing to have those discussions but we're not there <laughs> so we're not even close to that in uh anywhere in, in american society uh so it, it's not i mean we're, we're trying to figure figure out ways to make it so drag queens can't um groom children i mean that like we're so far down that it's like uh it, it's just you know <laughs> that's that's where we're at so anyway, so, so this is what happens um, online with Ted Cruz. Now, uh, I want to show you this. This is the actual, this is, this is the summarization of this law, this Ugandan law, because I want to get into specifics now. Why was this law passed in Uganda? Uganda's had a law criminalizing, disincentivizing, uh, trying to, to persuade people not to be homosexual and commit those actions for a long time. But something recently changed, and and in this recent change, this I guess the recent change is this addition of a death penalty for certain actions is what's causing all the commotion. What is that? Here's what the law says: A person who is convicted of grooming or trafficking children for purposes of engaging them in homosexual activities faces life in prison. Grooming or trafficking children. Hmm. Individuals or institutions which support or fund LGBT rights activities or organizations or publish, broadcast, and distribute pro-gay media, material, and literature also face prosecution and imprisonment. Let me ask you a question in the United States. Have we found that organizations that support homosexuality, let's say ones that existed even you know, six, eight years ago, are those organizations pushing other stuff now? I mean, did they stop there or are they pushing other things? Are they pushing drag queen library hour? and uh, story hour and um you know the normalization of transgenderism and transgender sports and all. yeah they are that's interesting isn't it they didn't stop there and i think this is what a lot of americans are realizing all at once in fact i have a clip i oh, mean i'll have to play it on another podcast but it's megan kelly megan kelly used to be on fox news recently said i don't know if anyone caught this but she actually said that she was part of the problem that at one time she was in support of homosexual stuff and normalization. And sh she now realizes where that led. It led to the target section, uh, the targets, uh, children's section, having transgender normalization outfits and propaganda. She's changing on it. She's, and I don't know how many people are, but I know people who previously would even attend gay rights meetings and stuff are now saying, wait, I, that was, where did this lead? What have I woken? What world have I got woken up into? So Uganda says, we're not going to have any of that. We're just, don't you don't come in here with that stuff. Media groups, journalists and publishers, it says face prosecution and imprisonment for publishing, broadcasting, distribution of any content that advocates for gay rights or promotes homosexuality. The, the, and here's the death penalty. The death penalty for what is described as aggravated homosexuality. That is sexual abuse of a child, a person with disability or vulnerable people, or in cases, and listen to this, where a victim of homosexual assault is infected with a long, lifelong illness. 
Let me read that again. In cases where a victim of homosexual assault is infected with a lifelong illness, what would that be? AIDS. If you're homosexual and you infect someone with a lifelong illness, infect someone with AIDS, and you're the victim of an assault, so this is a rape, there's a death penalty on the books against you. And one of the things happening in Uganda right now, this is what a lot of you don't realize, and you're not being told by the media about it, is there is a common understanding that people have, or it's popular to some extent, that if they contract AIDS, the way to get rid of it is to have a sexual relationship with a virgin. That's what they're saying is punishable by death. Property owners also face risk of being jailed if their premises are used as a brothel for homosexual acts or any sexual minority rights activities. We just had a quote-unquote pandemic where people had to shut up in their homes and they couldn't go anywhere because of the spread of a disease. And you're telling me these super spreader areas, places like a brothel for homosexual acts that are spreading diseases far worse than COVID, some of them, uh, that that's that's not within the public interest to have shut down. That, that, that there's, I guess, what would be the principle? What would be the thus saith the Lord here that Ted Cruz would be trying to, to bring into the discussion? I guess he'd be saying individual rights here. Individual, for you have the individual freedom to go and be as deboshed as you want at, at a brothel. As long as it's what, I guess, only affecting you, but it doesn't only affect you. You're going to a brothel. You're participating with other people. And there's groups encouraging this kind of behavior, normalizing it. And the death penalty is for people who are raping virgins, victims, uh, taking advantage of disabled and vulnerable people. Here's what I want to just I want to suggest a path forward that I haven't seen anyone take on this. Not saying they, they haven't, but I haven't seen it. The path forward is this on it. It's not it's not going to Ted Cruz and saying, well, you know, Ted, we could get a cup of coffee. We should talk about it and, and sit down. Now, I'm not saying you that, that that can't be part of it, but that can't be all of it. You can't go to Ted Cruz and be like, well, you know, we have so much in common and uh, you're conservative. I'm conservative. And this this is something this is a matter to be um, discussed. And I think the thing to do in this is to flip it. The attempt that Ted Cruz is joining with all the left wing media and what the media has been doing for years in trying to vilify Christians who would um, take a stand on what the Bible says on this issue and claim that they're, they're the meanies. They're the big meanies because they want death penalty for homosexuality or something. I don't know of any Christian with any influence in this country who is seriously proposing anything like that. Part of it might be practicality. <laughs> like, where are you going to get broad support for something like that? Part of it might be, we've got bigger fish to fry. Part of it might be, uh, that's not an issue I'm concerned about as much. Uh, I'm there's other, or, or I think there's other ways, uh, like it, 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 there's other penalties and disincentives and things, deterrence that we can enact. I mean, there, there could be other ways that people are dealing with this, but I don't know of anyone who seriously is saying we, we could get a national law, we could get a state law on this topic right now in the current climate, but Ted, but but the media wants you to think that that's 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 there that they're and they're going to go hunt them down. They're going to rip you out of your bedroom if you're homosexual, and they're going to kill you. That, I mean, that's what the media wants to do. Ted Cruz is joining in with that right now, and that, and 
And, and so how do you take the moral high ground on this? Ted Cruz, this is what I would do. Are you, do you mean to tell me that people who rape virgins and infect them with AIDS should be allowed to live? Do you, do you hate disabled people, Ted Cruz? Do you, do you, do you care about the people of Uganda? I mean, they're black, right? You're supposed to care about black people. They're, they are. And, and they're the ones chanting against Biden and saying, this is, we don't care about your money because this is about the, the, the integrity and the, the survival of our country. Ted Cruz wants people to go to the border. Maybe he should go to Uganda. Maybe he should talk to them and have a cup of coffee with them. Um, I've said cup of coffee way too much time in this podcast. It, it, the framing is what I want to talk about in this. It's not about like, like so often the topic is what, what's, what's the ideal? What should we, we, we could have those discussions. What is the ideal in this imperfect world? What, what does God expect of us? But the framing here, the strategy, the, you know, who are we for? Are we for people? Do we love people? Do we love men and women, women who are getting uh, raped, women who are getting abused, uh, people who are contracting these horrible diseases. It's like Ted Cruz doesn't even know what the death penalty is about. He, is it just for being homosexual? I mean, it's, it's, he, he said it was for these, these particular acts in his tweet, so he must know. But, he, but that's abomin it's an abomination to put someone to death for raping and infecting a virgin with AIDS, giving them a death sentence. That's where the battle needs to be, I think. Because... At the end of the day, it's not about being in love with certain ideas. It's not about being in love with um, it, the reason I think David loved God's law was because of what it produced. It was good for people. It reflected also the nature of God. It was um, the, the principles, at least, of God's law were, were beautiful things um, because of that. But, but they, they worked themselves out in these ways of, of loving neighbor. It's not a, about these abstract ideas that we just impose on everything and that uh, we, we have to, no matter what situation we're in, no, we, we have to take inventory of the situation we're in right now. What's the best thing that we can practically accomplish for the people because we love people in our town? It's going to look different for me in Highland, New York, where I'm broadcasting from right now than it is for you in middle of nowhere, Kentucky. Um, you have a lot more latitude than I do, <laughs> you know, so that's the 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 goal of christians but we're while we're doing this we are we we are drawing on we be, be behind us is the motivation of loving other people and knowing that god's law is good for people uh lots of comments coming in man um yeah well wait is it Someone's saying that Ted Cruz is up for, oh, up for re-election. I, I thought it was saying he's running for, for election of the presidency. No, he's up for re-election in 2024. Tells you everything you need to know. You know, I might. I don't know. I don't know what points he thinks he's scoring. I don't, does, this, does this work with the base of conservatives in Texas to vilify Uganda and then to vilify a pastor, kind of? To, you, I, don't, I don't understand. Um, Let's see. Yep. Someone rightly put Anita Smith, the Ugandan law was against aggravated homosexuality, meaning the full extent of Ugandan law would be extended to those who knowingly spread AIDS, rape of children and mentally ill and disabled. Yep. Yep. Totally. Um, some people are putting memes up there. Uganda forever, I guess like Wakanda forever and so forth. Okay. So, um,
So that was Ted Cruz. That so that, that's an approach, I guess. You could just join the left, right? Because because Cruz has adopted the left's framing of this, and once you adopt their framing of this, then I think you lose the whole entire thing. Uh, so so it, it, for example, if it's an abomination or it's disgusting to crit to criminalize homosexual behavior, what about transgender behavior? Should we criminalize that, or is that disgusting? Maybe we should just let them in sports, right? Like that's that's where this goes, and it's like Ted Cruz doesn't realize that's where it's going, and and that's and that goes for James Lindsay and others who who keep trying to separate the LGB uh, from the the T, as if they're two different uh, things, or that at least the logic doesn't lead uh, in the same way. All right, well let's talk about uh, let's see, man, I've been streaming for a while now, and I haven't gotten to everything I want to say. Um, we're probably going an hour. We're at a, a little over fifty minutes right now. I want to talk about this. Man, I'm gonna have to be brief on it, I suppose. But I want to talk about this. This is a uh, a tweet that's gotten a lot of. Well, maybe it's not gotten as lot of, as much attention as I thought. 568 likes. But this is a tweet that uh, th that I was talking about with some friends uh, this morning over breakfast, and uh, and I just want to talk about it. I, I was given some background I didn't realize. So so let me give you the background first. Um, at least that one of my friends thought that this was maybe concerning. Cross Politic, which is a show. Uh, from uh, Moscow, Idaho. It's it's a uh, Christian conservative show. I think they they are unashamedly post millennial theonomic uh, Presbyterians, and they were they they wanted to retake. And, and again, they're thinking in the way that actually on this issue, this is a way that I think is is great. They should be thinking this way. We all have to think this way. I don't know if I think that their particular route is going to work, but but they want to reframe this whole issue of LGBT by retaking June as life month, because that was the month in which the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. There is something to that. There is there, there is something to trying to, because this is a battle for the calendar. This is a battle for what occupies our minds and what gains prominence. So if you can successfully say that there's a right-wing alternative to this, there's a conservative and a Christian alternative to Pride Month, and that's life month, that probably, you could probably get broad support. Now, I joked, I joked, at breakfast, I said, if you really want to be based, right? You, you make it like a Confederate uh, history month or something, right? Uh, and then and then my friend was like, and, and, and you know, and, and how many people are going to rally to that? And I'm like, true, <laughs> that would be. But I mean, if you, if you really want to go like totally as right, you know, totally to the right and, and really offend or, or the sensibilities of the those who want to normalize homosexuality, do something like that, you know, make it, you know, masculine month or so. I don't know. But like Life Month will get a broader support from uh, from a lot of Christians. And and so th this is the the conundrum, I think, for believers is what do you do with this? What do you do with Pride Month? Do you, uh, it's like, you know, Christians who, who were had a conscience about Halloween and they had harvest parties or something like do you do that. Do you do Reformation Day like we have our own thing and, and it, it's our own celebration, but it's it's about righteous things. I think that that's a viable option. I think that's fine for Christians to do that. I don't know if it will work um, as as much as some think, but 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 look, that that's a productive discussion to have. That's actually trying to come up with a solution for this, at least to hedge against so much of this uh, debauchery that we're getting. Well, my understanding is that's where this tweet, th th this tweet is in partially at least reacting to that. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I've been told. Daryl Harrison. Uh, grace to you. Uh, I don't know what he, let's see. He's the, I'm not sure what his position at grace to you is exactly Uh social media guy. I don't know. Um, he works for grace to you though. And he, he's kind of an ambassador for them. 
I've met him before, actually. Very nice uh, to me. And so nothing personal against Daryl Harrison here. But I, I think this is instructive because he obviously represents all the people who like the tweet. A lot of people. As Christians, our responsibility is not to try to outmonth the culture. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> it is an exercise in futility for believers in Christ to try to come behind the culture and replace their polluted, sin-fixated observances, I, uh, example being Pride Month, with those that are more virtuous and upright, Life Month. So he's criticizing Christians who would want to do that. Now, I wonder if he'd say that about Christians who want to say like Reformation Day over Halloween. I don't know. To engage in such an ideological... Uh, now, man, he's using words I, I can't pronounce. Uh, I'm not even going to try. I should know this word. Um, uh, I, I want to say tit for tat, but uh, with a demonic and sin sick culture is unproductive. So he's saying uh, to engage in an ideological, like to, to try to come up with this alternative to what the demonic culture is doing is unproductive. No, you're not accomplishing anything by doing this, to say the least, as it falls short of getting to the real issue. OK, so so it's it's not it's unproductive because it's inadequate. He's saying it doesn't go far enough. It's not getting at the real issue. It's a distraction. It's a waste. He says this, the spiritual blind, the real issue is this, the spiritual blindness that envelopes it. Scripture is clear that this world and the systems by which it operates is under demonic influence and control. So, so let me just stop for a moment. Because the, the argument here seems to be because there's a spiritual blindness that people have who are part from, from the Lord, and it's on a personal level, it's individuals, and the only thing that can take that blindness away is, is the Holy Spirit and Christ's uh, work in, in their lives, then it's futile. It, by that logic, it would be futile to do anything but, I guess, share the gospel and try to get people to take off those blinders, or, or, or at least take those blinders off so people can see. If they're spiritually blind, they can't see. They're not going to join you in your life month celebration. Uh, you you have to focus on the gospel. And so you're, you're pouring resources into this, this other thing, this life month thing. And, and you're not focusing the, on the soul, on where they should be focused. So that, that's the claim. Scripture is clear that this world and the systems by which it operates is under the demonic influence and control. So he's just reinforcing that not only are people blind, but, but Satan uh, is in control of things. So you're, you're not going to unthrone, you're not going to dethrone Satan. Consequently, the culture will outmonth the church every time. This is really encouraging, isn't it? The culture will outmonth the church every time, given that by its very nature, the culture is inherently bereft of any righteous intent or motive. Now, I, I, I'm going to quibble about something. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but can we say the world instead of the culture? I'm going to assume he's talking about the world, the lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. The church, the temporal church, right, is part of culture. Uh, it's not this like distinct thing that's on the, the outside of culture looking in. And no, it's part of culture. Now, the universal church, the invisible church, uh, that is a spiritual uh, spiritual institution. But these the spiritual institution has a mailing address, which is in a particular place with particular people from particular communities who have particular cultures, like particular traditions, particular language, particular cuisine, all of that. It's part of the culture. It influences the culture, and the culture influences it. How can you say the culture influences the church, John? Because when you went to church, what language were the hymns in? What meter did they have? Did, were there Scottish snaps in them? Well, that's particular to a certain region of the world. Those hymns come from a culture. That's so. So I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that quibbles over this, but anyway, 
culture is not bad in and of itself. It's a good thing. Uh, you can have elements of culture that develop that are bad that need to be done away with. But culture as a category is a good category. So consequently, culture will outmonth the church every time. I'm just going to say the world. The world will outmonth the, the church every time, given that by its very nature, the world is inherently bereft of any righteous intent or motive. Sadly, the seemingly insatiable desire. So now we're questioning motives of unrepentant sinners to egregiously offend a holy God. Oh, I guess we should question motives here. I mean, this is biblical. A God who is divinely, uh, man, he's using all these big words, obdurant uh, in his in intolerance of sin is what vivifies every depraved act in which they choose to engage. Uh, so, so let me try to translate what he just said. Uh, sinners are going to sin. And 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 they they don't care what God says. Ultimately, attempting to outmount month the culture will accomplish nothing. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to realize that and commit ourselves even more to sharing with a spiritually deceived culture the only message that will remove the veil of blindness from the hearts and minds of those who are walking in the uh, darkness of demonic deception. The gospel. Behold, as for the proud one, uh, his soul is not right within him. Habakkuk two four. Okay. Um, man, there's so many things to say to this and I, I don't even, I'm not going to say all of them because I just don't have time, but, uh, we'll start here, I suppose. Um, so let's change the, the example to just murder. I mean, I know that's the example generally people go to, but let's say murder. Okay. Or rape or something that every, most people, we can get a broad consensus who are against it. Is that law as a Christian? Do, do you believe that law is from God? Sure it is. So should we hold people uh, to follow that particular law by putting up deterrence? Like, in other words, if you kill someone, you forfeit your life or you go to jail or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, we, we should do that. Right. Does it matter if they're Christian or not? No, it doesn't matter. That's one of that's a, a, one of God's laws that we believe should be enforced for the, the, the common good of uh, society or the communities we live in to protect people because we love people. Um, the standard doesn't change, right? The standard doesn't change. Every knee is going to bow eventually. And even if they're blind to their own sin, even if they are stumbling around in the darkness, uh, there's still something else at work in them. And Romans one even talks about this. They have to suppress the truth. That's part of the blindness. They have to actively work against the truth because it's obvious around them. And they know that through their conscience and what they see in creation, that there's a God exists who is going to judge them. So here's the question. Do we reinforce that knowledge that all people have that God has given to them that should point them towards higher things that should steer them on the road? to being exposed to the gospel eventually, but to the truth of God. Or, okay, so reinforcing the law of God would be part of that, like a life month. Or should we just not really oppose in any organized or serious fashion the blindness that they, and the truth suppression that they want to impose on us? Because you can look at this two ways. You can look at this as if we have life month for Christians, those, this isn't for people who are blind. These are people who are eyes are open. They don't want to participate in the blind stuff. So let's give them an alternative. Okay. Let's give them something to rally around. The other thing is for those who you, you can look at it this way, for those who 
need that reminder that they are going to be judged, a life month helps with that. It reinforces that we're made in the image of God, that murder's wrong, uh, that uh, homosexuality is wrong because we're not going to participate in the pride month stuff. It serves those purposes. Those are good purposes. Actually, these are the uses of the law. Paul even said, if I didn't have the law, I wouldn't have known that I was a sinner. What are we doing? What, like, what, I mean, respectfully, I mean, I'd have a cup of coffee with Daryl Harrison. <laughs> I mean, I have, probably have a good time with him. But like, respectfully, like, what is this? I mean, you know, we're, we're wasting resources or something. I mean, what about the resources and the time it takes to write a tweet like that? Is that, I, I don't know, you weren't out sharing the gospel while you were tweeting that, I, I don't think, right? I'm, there's a lot of things we do that aren't sharing the gospel, but that, that are being salt and light, that are being... Uh, positive influences in our communities and our churches and our families. Like, what is this? Like that, that's, I, I, I can't quite wrap my head around it. And I, I know that there, there's this tendency with post mill guys, especially to be like, well, that's just, it, it's just, uh, it's just the post mill thing. It, it's, 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 or the dispensational pre mill thing. It, it's this, the, the world's going to burn. So it doesn't matter. You know, does that factor in? I don't know if that factors into all these things. I, I tend to think not. I tend to think on some things, maybe it does with some people. Um, but, I don't, I don't think that's what this is really at, at its core. There's something else going on here. So some people, you know, were responding to it and saying it was pietism. And, and I, I think if I saw correctly, I think Daryl Harrison was saying that that was kind of like uh, smearing or name calling or something. But um, I mean, I, what, what is it then? What, what do you attribute this to? Because you have a lot of younger people and families, especially their kids are going, they're seeing this stuff and they want to, they, they want to explain to them, that, that you can't take part in the celebration and there's having parades and there's cake and there's fun rainbows and all this stuff. I think it makes sense for parents to start thinking Christian parents, how can we have something fun on the calendar for our kids? They're, they're being wooed into this. It's going to be fun. Come and be with us. We have a parade. We're going to have fun. And um, why not have some a life month thing? Well, why not have something that's an alternative to say, no, we're going to have fun. We're going to celebrate godly things. And guess what? That might create some opportunities to share the gospel, which will remove the blindness. So uh, there's more that could be said, but I've been going now over an hour, which is uh, more than I wanted to. Um, let's see. There's a lot of uh, comments now coming in. Um, let's see. Doo-doo. Someone's someone's saying that I should be careful with... Uh, let me enlightening you uh, with the approach of let me translate what he just said um, as if uh, there people are not capable. I'm not saying anyone. I don't, these are the kind of comments I don't quite understand. Like, I'm not saying anyone's dumb out there. I'm not saying Flavio uh, Bros is, is dumb. I'm, I'm just saying that uh, it's it, it, Daryl Harrison's using big words, some of which I'm not even um, uh privy to like i don't even use in my modern in my course of speech so i gotta translate for myself sometimes but uh but there are people in the audience who don't exactly know it's not plain and so anyway, i shouldn't have to defend this this is ridiculous of course there's a lot of you who understand what he said probably better than me but i'm not assuming everyone understands what he said all right uh someone says now do sabbath i don't know what that means now do sabbath i guess is that sabbath like should we apply sabbath laws i actually am in favor of uh, local blue laws. Um, I haven't really talked about that, but I think that would be actually a good thing. Like as I'm not saying like, I can't enact that where I am right now, like that you need a somewhat of a consensus of Christians who believe that, but like I I'm uncomfortable 
going, I probably shouldn't open this can of worms like a minute before ending the podcast, but I, I grew up, um, with, we, we didn't go shopping on Sunday. I'm still very uncomfortable with that kind of thing. Uh, and I, I, I do think there's a creation, uh, ordinance here. It's not just that it's a, um, I realize one man honors one day over another. So I, I, I don't think it's a sin necessarily. I, I think though to, to go out to eat or something on a Sunday, I don't think it's a sin in and of itself. I think it's effects are bad though. And I think that there's a creation element to this, that God, God wants us to have a day of rest because that he's baked that into the fabric of creation. That's, that's his plan for us. Um, now, now I'm going to get it from both sides probably on this and I should probably do a show on the Sabbath, but, um, Anyway, that's that's my very short attempt to try to address the Sabbath stuff. Um, okay, so let's see. So Soli Deo Music says, what of the nation that where God's law once was assumed applicable and has since removed even references to God from their currency, books, flags, and public places? Uh, I'm not sure. So, so I guess I'm not sure what the question exactly is related to. Um, I'm assuming this means you know, what, how do you celebrate, how do, how do you get a life month thing off the ground in a country like ours? Yeah, you probably can't get it off the ground nationally. You can probably, if you can get conservative organizations to back it, you can get people on talk radio and other places to, to, you know, view that as the alternative. Like we, we have at least two Americas, probably more. And, um, it doesn't have to be, it, it's what people do. It's their habits and traditions, not what the government officially decrees that matter. Government can influence that, but you can have celebrations. I mean, they, they had Pride Month for a long time. Well, not a long time, but years before it was officially recognized. So what I'm saying, what, what they're saying, I think is, people who advocate this is you got to start somewhere. Let's start and, and, and let's see if we can build some momentum. So, um, yeah, you, you're not going to maybe get everyone to celebrate it. But look, people celebrate Christmas still <laughs> like that's been a tradition for a long time. They're trying to take Christ out of it. But like every Christmas we still see. Uh, references to Christ. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to root out those deeply ingrained things. Um, I will say I had it queued up and I decided not to uh, go for it, but I will say now, uh, one of the things with the Ted Cruz tweet, you could also bring up is all the sodomy laws that were on the books uh, in early America. And you could start asking whether or not American heroes were disgusting, abominable, uh, all of this stuff because they lived in these societies and didn't oppose these laws. In some cases, they supported them and enacted them. Um, one of the earliest ones, I'll just read for you. This is from 1610. Sir Thomas Gates, the governor of Virginia Colony, issued the Articles, Laws, and Orders, Divine, Politique, and Martial, a code placing Virginia under martial law, a law including the earliest known English-American penalty for sodomy. The ninth provision of the Virginia Legal Code of 1610 read this. No man shall commit the horrible, detestable sins of sodomy upon pain of death. That's more restrictive than the Uganda law. And he or she uh, that can be lawfully convicted of adultery shall be punished with death. Okay, so there you go. Adultery too. No man shall ravish or force any woman, maid or Indian or other upon pain of death. So, you know, here you have the, this is you know, early America, uh, earliest, and uh, you have these kinds of laws. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's like what... You, you can't say that it's un-American. You can't say that it's not Christian because Christian societies throughout centuries have had laws like this. Uh, but you can call it abominable because we're in 2023 and Uganda's trying to maintain their society because they, they see what's happening here. And they also have a bigger problem with this uh, raping of, of, of virgins issue. And uh, no, the, no, they're abominable. They're abominable. Uh, we, we know more today, I guess, in our current 
context than most of world history throughout time, including our Christian forefathers did. Uh, so, yes, Sabbath, someone correctly pointed out Sabbath laws don't force people to go to church. Yes, that should be obvious. I hope no one's saying that. Uh, Sabbath laws do not do that at, at all. Sabbath, that wasn't the point of Sab Sabbath. Oh, oh, I see who's saying that now. Yeah, that's not, you, you don't understand Sabbath laws then. No, Sabbath laws are not forcing people to go to church. Sabbath laws, at least in the early American context, and, and uh, there's still some blue codes on the books in some places. We're restricting what you can do on a Sunday. Uh, you can't have loud disturbances. Thomas Jefferson wrote Sabbath laws for Virginia. Uh, you can't um, maybe buy liquor in certain areas. You can't engage in certain things on a Sunday because it's the Lord's Day. So it incentivizes people to go to church. It doesn't force them to go to church. It just says that they're supposed to honor it. Um, so anyway, all right. Lots of stuff happened in the chat, but I can't get to all of it. I appreciate all. Oh, someone asked if the 1610 project, it's, it, it's the, it, it is in the works. Yes. Yes. Actually, I'm towards the end of the filming. We have one more guy to film. And it's the 1607 project, not 1610. But yes, the 1607 project is almost done. Uh, you can go to 167project.com, I believe, to find out more about that. Well, if uh, if you are near Wisconsin, or the adjacent state or whatever, I still would love to see you. So make sure you come out this particular weekend, the Be Not Conformed Conference. Uh, information, you can go to truthscript.com for information. You can go to uh, johnharrispodcast.com for information. It's, it's in both places. God bless. More coming. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.